This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howell. Let's not waste any time and get right into this week's proceedings. First off, wherever you're listening, however you're listening, we thank you so much for being a part of this week's presentation. Multiple ways to get this podcast, but the best way is to search Horns 24-7, Horns 247, with no dashes, slashes, or spaces. Anywhere you get your podcasts, click that follow button. Get every episode of The Blitz when it drops now on Wednesday mornings and don't forget to leave us a five-star review. We would greatly appreciate it if you did that for us. Let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily fantasy guru. Texas was off, but he certainly never takes a college football weekend off. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? Uh, fantasy weekend, college football-wise, good last weekend or not so Oh, much? yeah, it was really, really good. I I had a great week. That old Oregon and Washington game shot out, and Ollie Gordon and Rashad Owens from Okie State went off against Kansas. Kansas's defense is just putrid. They're giving up huge numbers to everybody. We, uh, we found that out firsthand. Uh, a man who has firsthand knowledge of what it's like to suit up for the Texas Longhorns, including – Wearing those icy whites, which the Longhorns will when they travel to Houston on Saturday. Back to the stomping grounds of the third member of our team. He wears many hats, but for the purposes of this podcast, he is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas in the 40 Acres, where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes back in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU. And when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program. Number one in your hearts, a proud product of DB High, Houston Lamar, Mr. Rod Babers. Rod, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, brother. I appreciate the intro as always. Uh, um, good to be back in the game week, man. I, I don't like those bye weeks, especially after a loss. Don't like them. You think you think you like the bye week, but uh, then it gets closer to game day, and you're like, ah, oh, it's just uh, okay. I'll just I'll just watch other teams in the Longhorns this weekend, which wasn't bad last weekend, but. Uh, yes, definitely good to be back in the flow of talking Longhorn football. We've got plenty to talk. Hey, first off, just one last housekeeping item to get out of the way. If you are interested in being a sponsor on Longhorn Blitz, if you've got a uh, you got a business or hell, if you just want to individually sponsor it, whatever you want to do, whatever the case is, go ahead and reach out to us. LonghornBlitzPod at gmail.com is the best way to get hold of us. So if you're interested in sponsoring the show, we're looking to branch out a little bit here as we wind down 2023. Go ahead and reach out to us again. Uh, LonghornBlitzPod at gmail.com or you can find us on uh, just hit us up on any of the social channels. I'm at Jeff Howe 247. Rod is at Rod Babers and Matt is at Butler and Austin. Matt, you haven't changed your Twitter handle in the last 10 minutes, have you? No, sir. Okay. I didn't think so. Uh, so yeah, get us on the socials, hit us up on the email. If you're interested in uh, sponsoring, being a proud sponsor of the Longhorn Blitz podcast. So guys, this is where I want to start this week. I spent the weekend watching some of the big 12. My impression going into the weekend was this is really, this league is really two teams and then everybody else. Yep. And Guys, that notion was confirmed because other than Texas and Oklahoma, I don't know if there's another good team 
in this league. I think there are some teams that have a chance to be good, maybe. But, man, if Texas and Oklahoma aren't playing in Arlington, then one of those two screwed screwed up really, really bad. Dare I say, screwed the pooch, as one of my high school football coaches was fond of saying. Uh, <laughs> am, am I am I wrong, guys? I mean, this, this league is just not good this year. Yeah, I agree with you. It's a down year for the Big 12, except for Texas and Oklahoma, who are on their way to the SEC. And, um, you know, there's a – I don't know if you guys watch Curb Your Enthusiasm. It's a really cool Curb Your Enthusiasm episode where Larry David goes to a restaurant, and then in the restaurant he hypothesizes that there's an ugly section and an attractive section, and they always <laughs> see the ugly section. If the Big 12 was that restaurant, um, only Texas and Oklahoma would be in the pretty and the attractive section. Everybody else would be in the ugly section. The entire <laughs> damn conference is ugly. Even West Virginia, everybody wanted to, but prior to them beating, uh, be, getting beat, I should say, by uh, U of H, uh, everybody wanted to, you know, kind of prop up West Virginia a little bit. Like, hey, man, maybe there's something, and maybe they will exceed expectations. As a matter of fact, they already have, but they're not going to be a, a threat and a great team in the Big 12. No, they're only two, and that's Texas and Oklahoma. Yep. And what you're saying is backed up by the numbers, you know, like Vegas basically has a master power rankings. And I cite Bill Conley, who always has his SP plus, but also, you know, stats or on Twitter, Parker Fleming, he tweeted out the current Vegas rankings. And if you look at just on a numerical data number, it'd be basically if these teams were to match up on a neutral field, how does it play out? And yeah, Texas still five. Points ahead of K-State. I mean, Texas is 11 points ahead of everybody else in the conference. So you have 84-79, K-State at 73, and then the rest of the Big 12. It's Tech in West Virginia at 71, TCU Okie State at 70, KU in Iowa State at 69, UCF at 68, BYU and Baylor at 67, and Cincy in Houston at 65, which means, you know, that's where you get the Texas right now. I think they opened, what, 19 and a half around there. That puts it right at that 19 number. But you're talking Houston to K-State separated by eight points. And then you got K-State to Texas separated by 11. That just shows you the ballpark in between Texas OU and then the clump of teams where you have everybody else within eight points of each other. A, a fun game to play if you're a masochist or you really have nothing else better to do is try to figure out who the third best team in this conference is because there's really there's really not a bad guess at this point. I mean, if you wanted to say Oklahoma State, man, yep. you, you you might be right. If you, if you wanted to say TCU with Josh Hoover at quarterback now, hell, you could be right. You could be right if you said K-State, especially if – Maybe they found something with with Avery Johnson at quarterback. So, but the fact that we're talking about one of those three teams, I mean, hell, the the fact that Iowa State could finagle their way into that conversation, yeah. Uh, when this is not the best team Matt <laughs> Campbell has had by far, I just it's uh it's crazy. It just it's it's almost shocking to me, Rod, how bad it is this year. Yeah, I don't honestly. It I think two thousand five was a really down year. This is really reminiscent of 2005 in the Big Go check those 2005 records uh, in mm -hmm. the Big 12. Yeah. I mean, uh, shout out to my man CB because he sent that to me. We were talking about this actually on, on the morning show because we were talking about what's the last year the Big 12 was this down. Um, and that was a year, obviously, Texas won a national title. But it was really down that year, too. Like that year, Texas was at its peak. Um, but the rest of the Big 12 was mm, subpar to mediocre. And it feels like that again, weirdly enough, even with the expansion of the Big 12. Yeah, yeah I, that uh, time, it was that about. year Texas Tech was when I think Texas took them on and both teams were ranked in the top 10. But you, you knew going into that game, I remember being like, Texas ranked like ninth in the country. What are they talking about? Like I knew Texas was going to obliterate that team and Texas ran through the entire conference to where, yeah, since then you have – because. It was weird that Texas or the Big 12 could go from where it was in 05 to how competitive, like in 08, it was arguably the best conference in the country. But then you'd say after 2014, you sort of really saw some of the teams fall off. Yeah, I was thinking, I initially thought 1997 was one of those years, coincidentally. An yep. Another year, another year the Big 12 had a national champion. Uh, but you had Nebraska uh, split the national title with Michigan. 
K-State won 11 and one, but that's when K-State, their non-conference schedule, like they were playing division two teams in non-conference. Like it was a, a joke. Uh, Missouri was seven and five that year, backed into the top 25. And then you had AM at nine and four. Oklahoma State was eight and four that year. Tech was six and five. Don't forget Texas was four and seven. John McAvick got fired. Uh, but that was at least there were like some some nine win teams and some decent teams. I mean, that, that AM team was a nine win team and, and got just ran off the field in the Alamo Dome by Nebraska in the Big 12 championship game. Uh, you know, you could go to 1999, Rod, your freshman year. Uh, you know, you had Nebraska was 12 and one, K State 11 and one. Uh, you know, you guys finished nine and five, but then it's kind of seven and five, six and five, eight and four, five and six, five and seven. So probably some of those, you bottom line is you'd have to go back to either 2005 or the like the early years of the conference when Oklahoma wasn't good yet and Texas was trying to get it figured out under Mac and, you know, Nebraska was still really good and Colorado was kind of in between deals with, you know, they were coming off of New Heisel and about to hire Gary Barnett. But it's been a long time since the league was this bad. Totally agree. And that's why, yeah, if Texas and Oklahoma are not playing for the Big 12 title and it is not a de facto quarterfinal game for the college football playoff, something went horribly wrong. Something went horribly, horribly wrong. (laughs) I mean, you got to think about this, right? Like Texas did not play Nebraska in 2005. Okay. But in 05, Texas 13 and 0 national championship. Tech finished nine and three. Texas ran them out of the building. Oklahoma finished eight and four. Texas ran them out of the building. Uh, Colorado won the North at seven and six. I, I guess seven and five, really, or seven and four. Uh, Texas beat them so bad, Gary Barnett got fired. <laughs> and then Nebraska yeah. was eight and four. So you had an elite, a historically great team. You had a couple of okay maybe above average teams and then just a lot of mediocrity after that yeah Yeah, it couldn't be represented better than looking at the box score if you go back and watch that 70 to 3 game it wasn't 70 to 3 at the end of the game it was 70 to 3 with eight minutes and like 50 seconds or 845 left in the third quarter of that game and that's when texas just basically started kneeling and put nordco out there but that was that's the only game where i'm confident like a team should have put up a hundred if they played all four quarters. We're we're ten minutes into this show. Why you already got to have a, a Matt Nordgren blast? Ten minutes into this show, <laughs> Matt. He's you a total know. package. He he, he is. He is. That's that's you know that's one of those games where, I mean, you guys ever watch the team get their ass kicked and like you actually feel bad for him? Like I actually felt bad for Colorado as that thing unfolded. Like like man, I just. Maybe Max can call the dogs off, but maybe maybe not. I don't know. It's just they weren't even trying to score seventy. It's just that just kind of just kind of happened. So I don't know. Rod, you ever you ever been through something like that where even man, maybe you were on the 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 giving end of that man. You're just kicking somebody's ass so bad. You're like man, I kind of feel bad for those guys. Um, back in the day, we I mean, yeah, think how bad Baylor was. <laughs> yeah, back in back in the you know early, late nineties and early two thousands. Um. Kansas was that bad back then where, like I said, we, we'd be looking in the stands by the fourth quarter, hanging out, making observations because we were up probably, I don't know, 35 points, something crazy like that. I mean, so those kind of games, yeah. I mean, it's like, I mean, I hope these guys can put up a fight, at least put up a fight. Those they, Kevin, those, those Kevin Steele Baylor Bears teams. Oh, man, those Baylor Bears teams were so bad. They, they, they've come a real long way. I mean, go look at those scores. We used to beat them by like 40, like something. I I, mean, I don't know off the top of my head, but it would be something crazy. I do remember that was a stat padding game, and you'd be like looking up, trying to spot, you know, uh, dime pieces in the crowd. You know, <laughs> it, you were, you were that bored. You know, you're bored. I'm focused in football games, but that was you were out, you were out of the game by like middle of the third quarter. You were beating them so bad. Yeah, yeah, I mean, man. Texas beat Baylor 62 to nothing in the end of the 05 season. And, exactly. But I guess maybe the Colorado game, though, just because I guess I had the bitter taste of my mouth left from the Big 12 championship game in 02, and Texas had had so many seasons where they were so close. 05, I never felt bad for a team. I was just uh, loving every second of Texas killing everybody. I don't know. I felt I felt bad. No, I didn't feel bad for, like, Tech or OU, but I, I felt bad for Colorado. I mean, it's one thing to lose. It's another thing to – to get your your head bashed in, it's another thing to like 
get so embarrassed. You you were probably better off not even showing up that day. Like that's that's what that deal was. Rod, would you like a rundown of your scores? Uh, the scores against Baylor during your time on the forty? Because I've got them right oh, here yeah. in front of me. Uh, from fr- from your freshman year to your senior year, you've got sixty two nothing in Waco. Oh no, damn! Uh, you've got a forty eight fourteen in Austin. Oh, that was close. You've got a <laughs> you've got a forty nine ten in Waco. Okay. Yeah. And then and then back in Austin in 02, you got a 41 nothing. Exactly. Dude, I'm telling you, we used to be we were in it, looking in the stands for dime pieces like, oh man, look at her. Damn. You know what I mean? I mean, it was that kind of game was crazy. We would blow them out so bad. I I, I genuinely be like, man, I kind of feel bad doing these dudes so dirty. We'd be out there talking trash and just just demeaning <laughs> dudes out on the field because we we really we'd be out there like making up celebrations because we, we you know it's it, a Chappelle we show like, skit. They were, yeah, they were like, no, yeah, basically, you know, serious, like Key and Peel. Like, they were just no threat at all. It was like our scout team was better than them. So we were, we were just out there, you know what I mean, having fun, talking, having conversations on the field. It was rare when they like get a first down. We'd be like, man, what happened? Be like, oh, man, I don't know. I got distracted. And you know, he was like, it was bad. They, they were, they were bad. They, they come a long way. I swear. They, I'm glad. Like I said, I'm, I'm looking at that program now from where they were. Like I said, then you know, like, the monumental Grand Canyon size leap they've taken in that time. Yeah. It's good to go to go uh down memory lane on some of this stuff because we gotta remember, man, there's like a generation of Texas fans that have no real firm grasp of what it was like to follow Texas football, you know, in the heyday under Mac. Back when like like when I was in high school and I would have like film session on Saturdays. And if especially if it was like an eleven o'clock kick, I'm like, man, I hope we get out of this film fast enough because Texas is playing Iowa State today, and that thing could be over by the time I get home. So I at least want to watch. <laughs> I at least want to watch the first like eight minutes while it's competitive. Hey, I will say this: I'm not gonna hell now. I will say we played a way too close a game with Iowa State, either 0102. I'm not sure when, and they had some talent. I forget the they had the quarterback. Seneca Wallace. Seneca Wallace. Wallace. Yeah, they had a they had a couple of guys that played. Trust me, I remember those games. Like now, nah, I will say, I, more respected, I will say, with no people, most people did not. <laughs> yeah, I can actually run that down for you, Rod, because I've got those numbers yeah. in front of me. Um, so your freshman year was a game in Ames that you guys won 44-41. I remember Major had to like pull something uh-huh. out of his hat that day. Yeah. Uh, and then your senior year, it was a twenty-one ten win uh, in Austin. Yeah, and that was yeah, that was the nasty weather. You know what I'm saying? I think we pulled away late. So I'm just saying, like, and was that Seneca? I think that, that was Sen- that was Seneca Wallace. Yep. Yeah, trust me, we watched film on Seneca. I, I, mean, I think he was in like Heisman conversations. Now, nah, man, we respected them, so I I won't disrespect that. I will say like that. I well, won't do. It, I, I remember <laughs> I remember that season vividly, and I remember because Seneca Wallace had just one of those insane plays against Texas Tech where he like dodged like nine guys. I mean, it was like some. I don't know, like some Johnny Manziel stuff yep. he was doing back there. And then and people wanted to put him in the, the Heisman race. And then, of course, you know, folks that follow Big 12 football, like myself at the time, I'm like, yeah, but he's coming up here. He's got back-to-back against Oklahoma and Texas. And after that two-game stretch, Seneca Wallace was no longer a Heisman candidate. No, after right. that two-game stretch. <laughs> true that, true that. Uh, Rod, another team that you uh, you beat up on during your time on the 40 Acres was uh, the University of Houston Cougars. And – uh, not just because of that, Rod. It's 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 allowed me to be nostalgic about those early two thousands Texas teams and uh, thinking about Bleacher Gate, the last time Texas played Houston in a road game. Uh, but I, I like this because it's the the Rod Babers Bowl for that reason this week, along with the fact that it's going back to to Houston. It's a game H-Town. actually in in H Town and yeah. Texas fans. It's three o'clock kick, so if you handle your business and you get to that part of Houston early, you might be able. To go get you a campus meal over at Frenchie's before kickoff, Ooh. if you play your cards right. Yeah, man. Oh, yeah. You you gotta do that. Put that on your list before the game or after the game. Get some of that French's fried chicken, right? What is it, campus. Rod? Is it the is it the two piece campus or the three piece campus? I forget what it is, but I don't know because I always, you know, your boy gets a bunch of chicken. I used to get like a ten piece. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mess around with them little meals, man. Your boy gets a bunch, ten piece, twelve piece, something like that. Uh yeah, man. Uh, that's one of my favorite fried chicken spots. We talk a lot about fried chicken here, but that's one of my favorite spots. No question. I love me. That's love probably, me. I assume, being game day, you have to get there early. That place will probably be pretty packed. Well, yeah, it, it probably is yeah. a little packed. Yeah. I you, that. And, yeah, you're right. You got you got a little bit of better chance now though, because the old Frenchies right over there has gone away where it was literally the old rickety shack. 
they move down the street a little bit. It's like a proper, you know, brick and mortar establishment. Restaurant, now. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> like an old house that they turn into a restaurant. Basically. For real. For real. Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> some damn good chicken, though. You know, look, you know, a fried chicken. My brother taught me this when he was living in Waco. He's like, you know, uh, a fried chicken place is a legit. It is a legit fried tr- chicken place. If like they just serve like ran, they got like random beverages on the menu. Like you can legit go to the chicken place and like order Kool Aid. Like they have uh, like a pitcher of Kool Aid behind the <laughs> counter. Like that's that's the, that's the best fried chicken I've had. Where it's like, man, this kind of looks shady, but you take one bite into that yard bird, man, and it is uh, oh so yeah. freaking good. Uh, but but Rod, you know, U of H is a program that's always fascinated me. And other than times where, you know, obviously during, you know, when, when Bill Yeoman had some really good teams and, and Jack party had the, the run and shoot with, uh, with Andre Ware and then John Jenkins ran it with David Klingler. Uh, we, we, you know, we've seen Houston have some prolific teams, but you know, I don't know that anybody has come as close to capturing kind of what I've always thought U of H could be honestly than the way Tom Herman did in, in 2015 and that first part of 2016, where, man, if you, if you just focus your energy and effort on recruiting greater Houston uh, and maybe, you know, you know, cherry pick some other areas of the state to go get recruits, man, e- even in a power five league, you can be, you know, a, a bowl team every year. And then maybe, you know, every three or four years, if you get a really special group of upperclassmen and now with the portal, if you get guys that go away and want to come back come back home man you can have you a team every three or four years that can go compete for a conference championship and, and u of h really hasn't done it but that is, it's always fascinated me the potential I, I i feel like that place has yeah i um i have them in my notes in the house somewhere and i crushed the numbers because i was interested about you know metro areas that produce the most nfl talent and i clocked it since 2020 and in, in basically nfl draft picks and uh, basically, DFW is second behind only the Atlanta metro area mm-hmm. producing the most NFL prospects in the last three years. And if you go look at Houston, Houston is in the top six. I'm talking about of all the national metro areas. It's right there. I mean, mm-hmm. Houston's a sleeping giant. It's got enough talent there for all the Blue Bloods to siphon their talent, but also a ton of hidden gems there. And you're right about Tom Herman. He was able to kind of basically build up the, the program to as close as it, you know, to its full potential. I mean, he really he got a five-star at Oliver to commit to yeah. U of H. All right. Uh, and in the NIL era, when they got Tillman Fertitta, who was their sugar daddy, um, they can even be more fit- formidable. And they also are in a power five conference. So, yeah, I mean, you, you've basically been asleep in giant for a while. And they're always a great stepping stone program for a really good coach, as we've seen uh, with a lot of great young coaches at U of H. So I think, you know, when they get another coach in there, Dana Hope's nothing against them. But um, I think, you know, this program is kind of regressing. Um, it, it, for a guy like, you know, I don't know, a next up-and-coming coach, maybe a Jeff Trailer or somebody like that, they could be dangerous. U of H could really be dangerous mm-hmm. because, you, the city of Houston is one of the most fertile recruiting grounds for football in the country, easily in the top eight year after year and in the top five even most years. Yeah. You, yep. the, other, the other thing you got to consider, too, with Houston, um, and, and I'm assuming this is still a factor, you, know, you had all the migration from Louisiana and really from the New Orleans metro area to Houston during Katrina. And a lot of those people didn't go back to, to New Orleans. There's a good chunk of people that didn't go back to Louisiana. They just kind of stayed in Houston and made Houston their home. And you talk about metro areas that are talent rich. New Orleans is another one. Uh, you know, if you had families that just decided, hey, we're not going to go back. We're going to post up in Houston and, and, and have home in Houston. Uh, that's just going to add to, you know, that's just another little influx of talent. And uh, some of those people, you know, they, they've had kids in the years since then, and now their kids are, you know, high school sophomores and juniors, and, and maybe they want to stay home. And like you said, right in the NIL era, when you've got a guy like, like Tillman Fertitta backing you, U of H should be more, much more of a player than they are right now. And you think about kind of where that program has been. Now I say Tom Herman, because he took it to a level that it really hadn't been. Uh, since 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 Jack Party had it with the run and shoot, where it was a, a national program and people kind of took Houston seriously, you know, Art Bryles was starting to get it to that point, and then he left, and Kevin Sumlin was starting to get it to that point, and, and then he left. So, as you said, the stepping stone is kind of the gift and the curse, where you can get good coaches, but one the you know a couple of those guys once they got it to a certain point, they they were out the door after that. Yep. No, I totally agree. So, say, 
it's it's it really is. I mean, a program that will have its peaks, its valleys, just because you said it's going to be hard for an AD to be able to replace a great young coach once you get them, because you know inevitably they're going to look to you know find a a bigger, better program to coach for. But now being in now truly in the Big Twelve, now part of the Power Five, maybe you're not such a stepping stone program as you mm-hmm. once were before. Right, maybe because now you're a part of the much larger conversation, the more important conversation, which is you know the future of the the college football. Which we don't know how it's going to look, but we know those power conferences are going to lead the way. And now you're a part of that. Maybe U of H doesn't have the same stigma and reputation as Stepping Stone program as they once did. Hell, you you've yep. been a, you've been a stepping stone for athletic directors. I mean, Mac Rhodes going to Baylor, and then and then Hunter Yurichek going yeah. to going to Arkansas. You can't even keep ads at Houston once you get a. Good That's one. true. Good point. Yeah, and when you're looking at the NFL talent and like all the numbers float around from year to year, but if you look at like say just like the top metro cities that have the most players that were born there, like LA's one. They have say. Places like Chicago up in the top six or Detroit, but everything else, you have Houston number three, Miami number four, Dallas number six, and Louis. It has New Orleans number seven. So if you talk about the close proximity between Houston and New Orleans to have two of the top seven, and then when you include even Dallas, but just like I know Jeff's brought it up before, but the way that, like, say the U was built, and the U is very similar to a school like Houston because the U was one that started as a private institution the same way that Houston started as a private institution that then gets some type of public intersection and you have these hotbeds of recruiting that you don't even have to like leave your own backyard. You, they called it the state of Miami back then. But if you just talk about crossing up Houston and say the Beaumont into a Louisiana area, because we always hear about Louisiana and Georgia, it's like per capita being the top NFL producers. You really could just sustain an entire program without ever having to leave your own backyard. And you've seen from talking about being a stepping stone. I mean, Miami, they became a stepping stone, just their coaches started to go to the pros. But you have that area that you could really just capitalize on and be one of the best teams year in, year out. You got to be careful. It almost, you know, Houston, kind of that that I 10 corridor really from, you know, let's say from Katy. Uh, all the way through, you know, New Orleans, kind of into Mobile, you know, that that part of I-10, you, you've got to have somebody that really understands how to mine for prospects, especially when you talk about the, the section of I-10 from New or- from Houston to New Orleans, because there's so much freaking talent there. And especially, especially now with Texas going to the SEC, man, I don't know that greater Houston rod has ever been more of a battleground for recruiting than it is now. I mean, you've got some just knockdown drag out. It's always been competitive, but the fact that it is, it is both a Big Twelve by way of U of H and by way of Texas and o, uh, Texas and Texas A and M and SEC territory, it is it has never been more competitive to get prospects out of Greater Houston than it is now. So if you are going to succeed at U of H, you got to have a guy that understands the right people to hire to where you're not wasting your time and resources trying to get guys that inevitably you're going to lose to, to more prestigious schools. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, you got to have somebody who understands uh, not only the coaching community there, the high school coaches, but understands where you find the hidden gems because like you said, everybody's recruiting H town. So you, unless you are, you know, a power five elite blue blood, you're not going to get all those top prospects. There's so much talent there. If you get in with the right coaches, there's there's tons of hidden gems all over that damn mm-hmm. place, and that's where U of H needs to live. Yep. Those hidden gems and those guys with those elite traits, and like I said, that that H town area, the Greater Houston area, man, you got more than enough. You can live in that Greater Houston area just doing that. Where the Power Five programs don't even really recruit those prospects now, they might start piggybacking off of you. <laughs> after right. you start building it and they go, damn, man, you know what? They own to something. If they offer a D lineman, I'm taking them, right? They offer a linebacker, I'm taking them, whatever. Uh, but at, at first, you can really, really kind of make your way and not even have to be in that many recruiting battles with the power five blue blood elites. Yeah. Course. Just like Texas. Texas has gone to Louisiana and gotten, yeah, yeah. I mean, they'll, they'll win a head to head for a, Derek Williams or or Jamon Tab, but you know, Malcolm Malcolm Roach was a guy uh, LSU didn't recruit. 
Uh, yeah. you know, Puna Ford was a guy out of the state of South Carolina that didn't have a bunch of SEC guys knocking down his door. So you, you can do it if you do it right. But uh, I don't want to get too far off on a tangent. Let's get to this U of H team. And guys, something when I look at their personnel, uh, kind of on both sides of the ball, offense more so defense, more so than defense. And I see their three, they're three and three with a loss to Rice. Something's just a miss. So I don't know. You guys tell me, am I am I overestimating? Houston's personnel or are Dana Holgerson and this staff just not making the most out of what they've got? Um, I think for me, it's just the defense is really bad. Yeah. Yep. I don't want to overthink it. It's Doug Belk. I don't know how it got this bad because I was a fan of him to DC and remember they were calling themselves sack Avenue like a few mm-hmm. years ago because they were one of the leaders nationally in sacks guys. They are just, putrid yeah. defensively. Uh, I'll give you the numbers. 107th in scoring defense for uh, last in the Big 12. 117th in pass defense last in the Big 12. 99th in rush defense. Uh, 12th in the Big 12. 79th in red zone D. 10th in the Big 12. 126th in touchdown percentage in uh, red zone defense last in the Big 12. 117th in total defense for, uh, last in the Big 12. 106th in 10 plus yard plays allowed. That is 13th in the Big 12. Um, they are 90th in 20 plus plays, 20 plus yard plays allowed, 13th in the Big 12, 123rd in third down defense. That's last in the Big 12, 133rd in fourth down defense, last in the Big 12. I just don't see how they stop Texas. This is going to either be a shootout or a blowout. And they're, and U of H is just hoping and praying to God it's a shootout. Yeah, I'm looking at this, guys. <laughs> U of H has allowed 97 plays this year. Of ten or more yards, they've given up almost a thousand yards just in explosive plays. Yeah, dude, it's bad, man. They they're bad, bro. They're they're, they're the worst defense in the Big Twelve. They're the worst defense in the Big Twelve, and it's not even close. So to me, that's that's um, you you can't have a phase of your game that's that bad. It can't it can't be that bad. You can be bad, but being that bad in one phase and and, and I, it's not like situationally they're bad. Like Texas bad in red zone offense, right there. 120 22nd in the country. So you can yeah. be bad in a situation. That's okay. But dude, the whole damn defense is all of it's bad. Yeah. They, they, and you're going up against one of the most prolific offenses in the country and the tough, one of the toughest offenses to defend in the country with a running back that's producing at a top five level with a uh, receivers that are going to be drafted in the first two rounds. And what might be now the best tight end in the country now that Brock Bowers is hurt, dude. And the biggest O line in the conference. I just that's why the number is what it is. They're favored by three touchdowns because Vegas is trying to figure out how the hell are they going to stop Texas really, other than in the red zone where Texas seems to stop themselves. Yeah, I kind yep. of I kind of looked at it. Uh, I'll let you get here in just a second, because I've only got one thing to say, Rod. I'm I'm kind of with you in terms of looking at U of H's defense. I was I was looking at their profile. I'm like, okay. They're kind of kind of profile similar to Kansas. Let me let me look at sacks because yep. I know I know Kansas can at least at least you look at them. They're top what top thirty in the country, I think, in sacks. And they're I'm, I'm looking at it right now. They're seventeenth in tackles for loss per game. But U of H, they're one hundred fifth in the country in sacks, about one one point seven per game. And then they're eighty sixth in the country in TFL. So you're not creating negative plays. You suck against the run. You suck against the pass. Uh, the only thing they do decently is they do force turnovers. They force 10 turnovers this year, but that's, that's not nearly enough. If you're going to be that bad, you almost need to be like a, a throwback, like Oklahoma State team, where you need to be like, you know, top five, top 10 in the country in takeaways if you're going to be as bad as you are in other places. And that's, I, I, guess, I guess that's that's where I'm at. I, I didn't realize until I dove into it how bad their defense was because they do have some nice pieces on offense. They've got some guys between Donovan Smith, you know, they're all, they've got an experienced offensive line. Uh, Patrick Paul is probably going to be uh, a fairly high draft pick at offensive tackle. You know, Matthew Golden's a receiver that Texas and Sark actually wanted. So you tie all that together, and they got some nice pieces, but their defense, as you said, Rod, it is so bad it is so putrid it and they're not bad on special teams either no special teams de- pretty good actually that defense yeah. just drags the whole thing down to where you're pretty much just the middle of the road team yeah actually and i'm with you i like the offense actually yeah i really yeah. do I, I think the receivers they're really impressive to me i like that group of receivers and actually the group of receivers we can kind of start there it that worries me a little bit for texas defending those guys you talked about matthew uh golden 
Um, uh, what's the uh, they have the other man, man Jackson, man Jackson yeah. <laughs> Sam Brown is one of the leaders in the Big 12 in receiving right now. Uh, they have Stefan Johnson Jr., who is the transfer from Oklahoma State. Hell, three of those guys were four star prospects coming out, like you mm-hmm. said. Um, you know, Jeff, you know, one of those guys, even Sark wanted coming out. They, they got their wide receiver talent is legit, in my opinion. Like, yeah. I like the, their wide receivers, and they have a lot of speed at wide receiver. They can run, they can go, which is which translates to their special teams because their kick return game is really good because they got speed and their kick after they've already returned like two kicks for touchdowns. And Sark says, worried about that. But getting back to receivers, guys, this is where I think this game could get interesting. I, I think Tech, I think blowout or shootout. If it ends up being a shootout, it would be it would be because the defense did not correct the issues and the problems they were presented versus Oklahoma. If you watch U of H, and everybody knows about Donovan Smith, Longhorn fans know about him because they remember him from being the starting quarterback against Tech. He's not Dylan Gabriel, but he can present some of the same problems. They run the quarterback draw. And that quarterback draw killed Texas. Dylan Gabriel had five of them for like damn near 60 yards. Right? Mm-hmm. Quarterback draws alone. They run the quarterback draw and they run it in the red zone. They can have designed quarterback runs just like Dylan Gabriel had. He also scrambled in that game versus Texas, had four scrambles, which really hurt Texas. Donovan Smith can scramble as well in the quarterback run game. Uh, they're an air raid offense, which is a – kind of a, a cousin, if you will, of the veer and shoot offense. So it, it has, in the air raid DNA, there's always up tempo. It, it's kind of built into the, you know, baked into the philosophy of the air raid. Yeah. So they, they're going to go up tempo and the up tempo offense really neutralized that up tempo pace, neutralized the Texas pass rush, right? The pass rush just really couldn't get home and Texas seemed a little bit confused and discombobulated. So they're going to run tempo. They're going to use the quarterback run game. Um, they're also just like, you know, I think uh, Oklahoma used, I think you're going to get them testing the corners and see if they can tackle just straight up. And Texas was bad tackling. Even Sark brought it up versus Oklahoma. And we just talked about how we like the wide receivers. You get them the ball in space in one-on-ones against the Texas DBs and see if they can tackle. So I think a lot of the problems that cost Texas the, you know, the Oklahoma game defensively um, are going to be presented to them in this matchup versus U of H. If they solve them during their bye week, no problem. It'll be a blowout. If they did not solve them, then they will come back to Harlem and we could be talking about a shootout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I liked uh, what you brought up there with the receivers, uh, just to put a bow on the defense talk too. Yeah, you look, we talked, we saw how Texas obliterated Kansas. I know that Bill Connolly has Kansas as the 90th best defense. He has U of H at 95, about a full point worse than that Kansas defense. But offensively, he has them at 26th in the country, one of the better offenses in the country. And the wide receivers, like you said, Rod, you know, everybody saw the Hail Mary this past weekend because the end of that that game was totally crazy. If you didn't pay attention to what happened, and of course it's Holgerson versus West Virginia, so you knew it was going to be crazy. And West Virginia, I mean, that game, they were down by 11 with three minutes and 40 seconds left. And West Virginia scores one gets an insanity two-point conversion on a throw by Garrett Green, who's like a runner, just throws a missile in, bobbles around, gets it. Then they score a touchdown with 12 seconds left to take the lead, only to commit celebration penalties and have it end up being a ball that you can throw from the 50, and that's where Smith hits Johnson for the Hail Mary to win that ball game. So those three scores in the final 340 was insanity last Thursday night. But looking at the wide receivers specifically, you know, I like looking at the zone and man splits, and you can sort of tell you a lot about receivers and their talent level. And that man jack guy that we talked about, I mean, last year, I liked him whenever I saw he was like the guy that was seen on the sideline punching his own teammate in the face because he wasn't listening to coach or doing his job. And I don't know, I've watched that man jack guy since he was a freshman, you could tell he really, really cares about football. He's a guy that averages 2.26 yards versus man per route run, 225 versus zone. He's over 12 in that, or over 12 per reception against man, just over eight versus zone. But whenever you can find a guy that's good versus both, just shows he's an all around receiver. A guy like Johnson actually had been better this season against man than he has against zone. And then uh, Samuel Brown, the one good thing, if it is something that could bode well for Texas. 
Texas. Texas does play more men than your traditional schools across the country. Some schools just don't have the talent to do it. And Brown is a receiver that seems to be more of the guy that understands the defense he's facing and can sit down against his own, but can't really get open versus man. Just 1.17 yards per route run against man, 11 yards of reception. Against zone, 3.38 yards per route run and 16.2. And a lot of that, though, is because he can make and miss tackles. And that's what Rod was just talking about. A guy underneath on the season, 11 missed tackles forced on his receptions. Another guy in man jack with 10 missed tackles forced on his 29 receptions. So if we're talking about a guy getting up around that one missed tackle forced every three receptions, that's borderline elite level running back type stuff. When you're getting that from your wide receivers, it shows that talent level. And then like Jeff said, Golden, a guy that Texas recruited, he's also going to not leave the field very often. And he's performed okay against man 1.38 yards per route run, but against own 1.84. But they have Two really good receivers, one that can do both, one that understands the defense he's facing and gets open, and they have some depth. You could say they have four quality receivers that could be playing at any D1 Power 5 level school. I mean, they got, they got some good running backs, too. I mean, Tony between Tony Mathis Jr. and Stacey Sneed, uh, you know, we haven't seen uh, much of uh, Brandon Campbell. I don't know if he's heard or what the USC transfer. Michael Laughlin's a, a tight end transfer from West Virginia. So, I mean, Rod, it just goes back to what you and I were talking about, man. They, they've got they've got some nice pieces on offense. It's just you're not going to be able to line up and run the ball at Texas because nobody's been able to line up and run the ball at Texas, even though you had to go to you know their quarterback run game, which we really hadn't seen them use. Uh, I think I, I would hope that Texas will be prepared for a quarterback run game, uh, but you've got to try the path of least resistance, and it's not a knock on the Texas DBs. It's just, hey, it's tough to consistently make one-on-one -on -one tackles in space, and if pretty much if you're trying anybody in that secondary other than Jade Barron, um, if, if I've got Dana Holgerson's receivers, I'll probably take my chances seeing if my guys can make plays in space. Yeah, yeah, that's what I think the, you know, what we saw at the end of the half, uh, the first half and the second half versus Oklahoma. Uh, and Sark was asked about it in the, uh, the the media availability on Monday. The Texas defense panics a little bit in that crisis situation in the two-minute drill. Mm -hmm. um, first of all, we have to throw out like half of the sample size for Texas. I was watching film on the Texas defense, and I realized I was I was making a miscalculation. You can't watch those games where the Texas is facing a backup quarterback. You just can't. Just can't. Yeah. yeah. It's it all, you know what I mean? Like it just it does it now after watching the Dylan Gabriel performance versus Texas, I realized I, I basically have kind of taken that out of my sample size. I'm only watching starting quarterbacks now against Texas and guys who are coming. So Rice Bam in Oklahoma, you gotta take out the Wyoming, the Baylor, and the Kansas because they were facing backup quarterbacks. So I kind of took that out and started to kind of look at things a little bit differently. And then I, you saw that last two minutes of the half and the last two minutes of the game versus Oklahoma defensively for Texas I'm talking about here. And you could argue that's where Texas played their worst football defensively, but that was at the most crucial time. And mm -hmm. if I'm an offensive coordinator, I want to try to simulate that more, right? Because basically that's the two-minute drill. Yeah. And a lot of what Oklahoma did was they just ran up-tempo offenses and it's not a two-minute drill all the time, but it has that feel at times because you're rushing, you your communication's got to be on. It can facilitate a lot of coverage busts, which Texas had in that Oklahoma game, and mm -hmm. they had in crucial two-minute situations. I worry about that in this U of H game is, you know, they decide to go up-tempo and move the ball against Texas – I mean, they had their worst breakdowns on defense, missed tackles. I counted five missed tackles on the on the drive, last drive at the end of the half, last drive at the end of the game. You're talking about 10 points between those two drives. Mm -hmm. um, you got to talk, you're talking about a penalty uh, on the drive as well. You're talking about two coverage busts. You're talking about a, a gap integrity breakdown. I mean, that's a lot of, you go, if you, I wonder if they looked at all the bad plays they had all throughout the game. I guarantee you a lot of them, probably a third of them or more, came on just the last two-minute drills of the first half and the second half. And then you go to Alabama, and the Alabama game, remember, that was one of those at the end of the first half. I was going to say, I thought there was one in the Bama game, yeah. 
Yep, there was one in the Bama game where Texas eh, just looked like they were off. And so, but they've only faced three starting quarterbacks, in my opinion, right? And when they faced JT Daniels, they really didn't have to worry about that at all. Uh, but I don't know. I wonder if that's something Sark is prioritizing now because they look like they were discombobulated in that crisis situation. And if I'm an offensive coordinator, I'm trying to simulate that crisis situation against the Texas D. And that's basically what the Viren shoot was able to do a lot of. Yep, and it's a good point whenever you look at those games and taking out the backups because it's not a true sample of what you should expect to see going forward. And, like, when you do that, it's like the Texas defense is giving up 229 yards per game passing when you put together Oklahoma, Bama, Rice. That's also, if you look at the quality of opponent, you're looking at a pretty good quality of opponent there, probably better than what you're going to face again this season. And then in rushing, I mean, yeah, ended up having 335 yards in those three games allowed rushing. So just over 110 per game on roughly, what, 34 attempts per game. So still a good defense, but definitely not maybe as dominant as you'd want. But those are good quality opponents. And uh, something I didn't mention last go around when I was talking about the Houston offense and what makes this Houston offense so impressive is, like, they also lost Tank Dell, Clayton Tune, and Alton McCaskill, the running back from – at Colorado two years ago, he was like one of the best freshman players in the country and blew his leg out and transferred to Colorado. But Clayton Toons right there, the backup quarterback, he basically took Colts' uh, roster spot off of the Cardinals. And then everybody's seen Tank Dell taking the league by storm before his concussion. So you had not only a really stacked roster, say, in years past, but now these guys, given the opportunity, they're really excelling in their first front row opportunity. Hey, Rod, how, how much of the, maybe it's some, maybe it's none, how much of the panic in the two-minute situations have to do with a lack of complimentary football and maybe just getting anxious because the offense didn't produce and maybe it's the defense just kind of feeling the weight to an extent of what's going on? Because go back to the Bama game, right? That drive, that drive before Bama into the half, Bama, Bama burned off the last 134, got a field goal at the end of the first half. But mm-hmm. the, dri- the drive before, Texas gets pinned back to their own nine. They get it with the minute 58. They go three and out. And they only burn 14 seconds off the clock and then punt it to Bama. Bama starts the ball at their own 38. So basically, mm-hmm. they start that last drive in almost yeah. at the minus four. They basically started at the minus 40, which now you're thinking about you're in four-down territory, you're in scoring territory. I just wonder if part of that is, and I'm not excusing the poor tackling or anything. I'm just wondering if mentally maybe you just feel the pinch a little bit because of the the lack of complimentary football right there. That's a great point, man, because I know Sark talks about it a lot. But, you know, at the end of that Oklahoma game, uh, the, the intention of the four-minute offense is so the other team never gets the ball back. They got the mm-hmm. ball. Texas obviously did what they had to do to score points there and, and get the field goal. Um, but uh, the four-minute offense didn't achieve its purpose. <laughs> and yeah. I do wonder if the defense – and that's not said, that's no excuse for the defense relaxing. But I do wonder if was, they relaxed on the sideline. Instead of the mindset of we're closing, we're the closer. We'll close it out. Mm-hmm. We close it out. Um, they didn't have that mindset. They played a lot – they played very conservative. And it seems like the guys – did not play with a lot of aggression on that last drive defensively. It seemed like they were on their heels. They they weren't playing prevent defense, but they, they were definitely trying to uh, – they were basically scared of letting anybody behind them, which I think is mm-hmm. very cautious in the way they played. One thing that I just noticed from the Bama game too, Rod, Jalen Milrow had nine explosive passing plays in that game. Oh, yeah. 15-plus. Three of them were on that last drive before halftime. Oh, yeah. It was big, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. it, it, it's like they don't deal with that crisis situation really well. I don't know what it is about it. Um, so I, I, I wonder if you'll see that. And, you know, one of the things also you'll see U of H do a lot of, you see Sark do a lot of it. You know, he loves bunch formations, clustered groups of wide receivers, clustered groups of receivers, period. It could be a running back or a tight end. But anytime they're close, stacked, tight, whatever, I call it a bunch. That's just what I was taught. Mm-hmm. Um, if you'll break down the Texas defense, Texas defense just just facing those starting quarterbacks I talked about. So in those three games and go look at targets to bunch formations, because I'm telling you, 
it, Texas is very susceptible to it. In that Bama game, you talked about those big plays. Most of them was when he was targeting a player out of bunch formation. Oh, like yeah. They were, they were at the point they that Jalen Murrow's completing 80% of his passes, <laughs> targeting a player out of bunch formation. You're talking about damn near 20 yards per attempt. Um, if you go look at uh, the, the, the Oklahoma game, I found it in the Oklahoma game too. They didn't do it as much. But in the Oklahoma game, when Dylan Gabriel targeted a player from a bunch formation, he was, yep, over 70%. And he averaged over 15 yards per attempt. So it's it's something about the DBs when you can make them less aggressive. And that's what happened in that last, I don't know what the players were told. I assume they were told, don't let anybody behind you. And then they kind of freaked out and let you know, let the deep, the, let the Oklahoma players catch a lot of things underneath. And then they were so far off, they couldn't even come up and close and make the tackle. But when bunch, you, you, you use a bunch formation, clustered receivers, you force the defense to have to read and react rather than reroute and redirect. So mm-hmm. it makes them less aggressive and they have to all kind of play off and wait till the route combination reveals itself. <clears throat> and I think that's a big part of why teams have been able to get space and create space when they're throwing and targeting a bunch formation. So watch U of H and watch that. Watch bunch formations. They don't run a lot of them, but they might do it versus Texas. Yeah, Am I? It's, it's, Go ahead, it simplifies man. the process so much. I mean, when we already have a guy like when you watch that Milro game and everybody could see how much, how reliant he was on the first read. And if it wasn't there, it's an issue. But whenever you're talking about those half of the offense that is going to give you that answer where you have the bunch formation and you know at some point somebody is going to be possibly schemed for a first few steps. It just simplifies that so much. And when you have a guy like Donovan Smith back there that also is such a threat with the legs, a lot of the time those quarterbacks, they are taught, you know, you have that internal clock in your mind. And if you don't have that first read or second read, which can be, say, hacked by a bunch formation, then you just take off. It can make that offense really – improve its success rate just by simplifying those processes. I am going through now. I'm pulling back, pulling up the Rice game because I could have sworn the 36-yard pass Rice had in the second quarter. It was. It I was to say that was a bunch formation. It was, yeah. It's in my notes. It was targeting a bunch for me. They only, they only got one, but it was. I think that was their biggest play of the game. <laughs> it was. Rod, your, your brain's working faster than my YouTube feed is right now, so I, I appreciate you. No, no, I appreciate no, you being on top of that. No, I just got it in my nose, but no, I, 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 I noticed it. It, it. it was the case last year too. I mean, I noticed it mm-hmm. last year. And matter of fact, might as well throw this out there. Donovan Smith, when he was the quarterback at Tech, when they beat Texas, um, he completed seventy percent of his passes targeting bunch formation. They didn't use it a lot, but I say if they're watching film, they'll probably break that out. It's something. I say, Texas doesn't have a systemic issue on defense. That's just a credit to what they've built and how good the guys are. Um, but er- no defense is perfect unless you're the you know the 2000 Ravens or somebody like that, right? 85 Bears. Uh, you're not a perfect defense. So there's a vulnerability somewhere. And I just think that's one of the vulnerabilities that I've noticed in the Bama game, in the Oklahoma game. Uh, you just brought up another example in that Rice game, Jeff, where those are starting quarterbacks. And when you place a starting quarterback, they've been able to find some success, you know, in that with that concept. Yeah, it's uh, I'm just watching the Rice game again. The uh, the 36 yard pass, they they motioned. They started with kind of like they got the tight end bumped out a little bit. Almost, it's almost like uh, and again, it's funny, Rod. You mentioned terminology because I asked a a a member of the Texas defense who shall remain nameless during camp about defending bunch formations, and he looked at me like I had a third eye. So I guess people just call it call it different things. I don't know. But this almost yeah. looks like uh it's almost rice is almost like in a nasty slot type look. If you want to go kind of old school nasty slot, they got like a wing back, the tight ends bumped out, and then they motion to a bunch. So the number one receiver, he is just inside the hash marks. It's almost like that little diamond formation they've got that's that's mm-hmm. uh slightly, slightly detached from the formation. Yeah. And my definition of bunch, like I said, everybody might have a different one. Mine is clustered groups of receivers. Receiver can be a tight end, can be a running back, could be a wide receiver. And they're so close, tight, stacked, whatever. It can be twins, it can be trips, it can be quads, um, but they're clustered together, very tight. So remember Tom Herman called it snug. Snug. <laughs> snug, whatever you want to call it. But when Texas has to defend that, 
you can tell the DBs way too reactionary. They need to be more aggressive defending it. So that's something to watch too. So when my five year old calls it when she wants to jump up on the couch with you and, and when it, when you're watching TV, a snuggly snug snug. I wonder if I wonder if Tom Herman called it that. Probably not, but you know, a guy a guy can dream. I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to teach my daughter, I'm trying to teach my five year old uh formations and plays, Rod. Nice. I think, I, think I, I think I've almost got her down to understand what a stretch play is, that wide zone. So I'm 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 working on it slow, slowly but surely we're getting there. All she knows in this house for sure is that uh, on Sundays we root for the Cowboys and we do not under any circumstances want the Philadelphia Eagles to win football games. So we at least got that part squared away for sure. Hey, but that, that's enough, man. Our, <laughs> our daughters one day are going to totally emasculate some dude onto some date trying to impress her with his football knowledge and she's going to break down cover two <laughs> and uh, cover three for him. He'll be like, what the hell? <laughs> the, the, the other day she was sitting at the kitchen table drawing and as she said, Daddy, I'm, I'm going to draw you a picture of Michael Jordan. And I told her, I said, I just want you to know how much I love you in this very moment right now as you're doing that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, we, we got a, we got a couple of minutes left. Um, and we talked about some of the issues that, that Texas needed to clear up from the Oklahoma game defensively, offensively guys. I, I, I kind of, I could come around before Sark said it publicly and really going back and watching the OU game. I was like, you know, that offense moved the ball at once Quinn settled in. And again, he said Monday, he just needs to do a better job of settling in soon. And, and he does. But once Quinn got settled in, that offense moves the ball too well on the cusp of the 20 yard line to be as bad as they are in the red zone and to not score more than they do. Like, it's just, I don't know. Again, I don't know, Rod, if that's like uh, a, a mental thing that, oh my gosh, we're in the 20 and now you you start feeling the pressure. So I don't, I don't know if it's a mental thing at this point or what it is, but man, they just, they operate it too well up until the point of getting into the red zone to be as quite frankly, as inept as they are inside the 20. Yeah, yeah, we don't. I mean, it's it's a great mystery, right? To, to be 123rd nationally in touchdown percentage in the red zone and have as many weapons as Texas does, the second best tight end in the in the country, uh, top five producing uh, running back in Jonathan Brooks, biggest offensive line in the conference, AD Mitchell, Jay, uh, obviously Jay Witt, and X Man. I'm with you. I don't get it. This is my theory. And really quickly, how I think they should and could fix it. My theory is that the red zone is one of those areas of the field. First of all, we're talking about spatial Darwinism. So defense, defenses are comfortable in the red zone in a in a world where they're trying to create more and more space formationally and with personnel groupings and with different concepts like cheat motion. Offenses are trying to create space. Uh, defenses are trying to compress space. Right. Naturally, you're trying to do it based on your scheme and your defensive uh, personnel and the technique. Um, the red zone does that for you. So yeah. it helps you with the spatial Darwinism. So defense are comfortable in the red zone. I just I read a stat um, and I'll find it here about def uh, red zone offense in the NFL. Uh, it's struggling right now. Red zone offense in the NFL is also down the red zone efficiency, uh, 2.8 yards per play in the red zone, which is down from 22, 21, and 20, right? So teams are struggling in the red zone. It's everywhere. I think for Sark, it is about identity. Um, usually teams, they, they go back to their identity in the red zone. Like that's money time, right? Money time, you go back to what you're comfortable with, third down. What's my money? My best players are this scheme, this concept, whatever it may be. And I don't miss, even though Texas is uber talented and extremely prolific offensively, do we know what the identity is? Because the identity was clear when Bijan and Rojo were here. Mm -hmm. Bijan on it with a side of Rojo. Although they have so much talent, um, what's the identity? What is it? Do you guys know what it is? I don't know, but I, I'm glad you're bringing this up because I brought this up several weeks ago, maybe like around the Baylor game. That like, and I, it's the same thing you just said. They're talented. We know they're talented. I just can't tell you right now if you ask Sark, put the proverbial gun to his head, and said, "Give me the one thing uh, above all else you feel you can hang your hat on." I, I don't. I don't know what his answer would be. 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, you look at the, the way that Jonathan Brooks has sort of exceeded some expectations. It's could also put you in that scenario. Cause I know at the beginning of the year, we were like, Oh, it's the passing game. And then now you're like, well, we have a really good running game, but yeah. none of which are in also you have depth. So it's not as if you're funneling all your usage. Like Rod said last year, you knew no matter what, put Bijan on it and you're going to be good. When you add a D Mitchell in and you had JT Sanders, selling and then you but you had a x-man who's been around the whole time and i mean wit wits uh, the guy that's almost the most can you could say like if you need to get a uh, reception to convert on third down you you can find whittington because you know after the catch he's a guy that knows where the sticks are knows how to burrow ahead to where you don't have a bad option you just don't have necessarily one that stands out above the rest yeah, I it is. I, I don't. I'm not worried or freaking out about it. Hell, they score. They've scored more touchdowns from outside the red zone than inside the red zone. Yeah, <laughs> so, which is great. Yeah, one of the most explosive offenses in the country, and they'll it'll figure itself out. There's too much talent there. But two things start saying the media availability that I think are going to help. Um, you know, some guys just better in short yardage situations. They have they they transition speed to power better. Uh, they mm -hmm. absorb contact better. They bounce off contact better. Some guys are just better at that. That's the reason that Savion Red is running the Red Cat and not Jonathan Brooks, right? That's why Rojo was running it and not Bijan. And because they just, they're better in those short yardage uh, impact power situations. And Sark talked about Savion Red and how he's got a niche now. And he said his niche was short yardage. He didn't say his niche was the Red Cat. He mm -hmm. said short yardage. And I wonder when you get down in the power situations in the red zone, short yardage, goal line, if Savion Red in traditional running back uh, role may be a better option than Jonathan Brooks. Jonathan Brooks is great in killing it, one of the best running backs in the country. But we see running back uh, rooms and cores all around the country that have situational running backs because this guy's better in this situation than this other guy. Yeah. Um, and Texas would be, I don't think, I don't think Texas uh, would be any different. So I think that might be an option the way Sark was talking in media availability. Also, I, I've been saying forever, you guys know STP steal that play. You know, Sark was asked about stealing plays, and he said, hell yeah, I steal plays. I'm paraphrasing. He didn't say that. But he basically said, yes, he steals plays. And, you know, I think Sark, you know, he basically stole – he stole the cheat motion, by the way, in that Texas, Texas OU game. He used it, and Mike McDaniel has been using it, and Shannon has been using mm -hmm. when they their best receiver – uh, on the move when the ball is snapped, he stole it, and I love it. So I know he's watching a lot of football and stealing concepts. So I would, and I, I think he's probably already done it, so I'm not saying not saying something to Sark that he's not smart enough to figure out his own. I would just look up the, the, the 10 to 20 best red zone offenses in the country, the 10 to 15 best red zone offense in the NFL, and I would look at exhaustive analytical breakdown of all of them and just go steal their best concepts. Just go take them. Yeah, so I, and just I add them to your mm -hmm. repertoire, and then Dallin, because you have so much talent, then that'll give you new ideas to work with on how to utilize your talent. Or you can just, as CDC says, rip off and duplicate. So I, I think those are two ways you can instantly help your red zone offense. The only thing I would add to that, Rod, uh, and, and maybe you know, because our Arch Manning is is a you know the closest thing Texas has to a legit dual threat quarterback. And, and you can debate, you know, we haven't seen arch play at this level, so it's open to debate, you know, what arch can handle. Um, and, and I'm talking, this is years down the road, but I think your idea to put Savion red as a true running back is correct. Just because I don't get the feeling that Sark is champing at the bit to take the ball out of Quinn's hands on any part of the field, let alone Agreed. red zone. Agreed. Yep. That's my. You're right about that, no doubt. And he can still run his RPO concepts, which mm -hmm. is a yeah. uh, ton in the red zone too. So the red zone will get it'll get figured out, guys. They got too much talent not to figure that out yeah. at one point. It's just it's stupefying why it's even an issue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it could easily be a small sample size thing that by the end of the year, you'll see Texas definitely not finish where they are right now. But that doesn't mean that they haven't had issues also. Well, we'll see if Texas gets the issues worked out against U of H on Saturday, three o'clock. Uh, Rod Baber's old stomping grounds uh, in the great yep. city of Houston. And if you get a chance, Texas fans, go to Frenchie's. Uh, you can do like me, get you like the campus meal, or do like Rod B and just get you a, a ten piece and be happy with that. So oh, that's uh, that's our advice for the week. If you're uh, heading to Houston to the game, <laughs> uh, and hey, don't forget also if you want a sponsor, be a sponsor on Longhorn Blitz. Uh, 
longhornblitzpod at gmail.com is the best way to reach us or reach us on uh, any of the social media platforms that we are on. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod B, appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother, anytime. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at 24-7 Sports and the 24-7 Sports Network and the Horns 24-7 podcast channel where you can get this show each and every week by searching Horns 24-7. That's Horns 247. No dashes, no slashes, no spaces. Anywhere you get your podcast, click that follow button. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. And thanks to Matt, you can get all of our archives. Our classic interviews and shows are available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. For the Horns 24-7 family, for the Longhorn Blitz family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. CBS Sunday, after the Equalizer. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. It's the season finale. Everyone's looking for something. Of Tracker. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions. You never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker, CBS season finale Sunday after The Equalizer on CBS and streaming on Paramount+.